one of the most important stories to understand Trump's final days is the story of how Donald Trump destroyed his relationship with his Attorney General, Bill Barr. A terrific man, a terrific person, a brilliant man. How did Trump destroy this relationship? And why? It's complete and utter madness. Self-sabotage. There is no way to see this in Trump's self-interest, to drive out his most loyal defender in the government and someone who he relied on day after day to keep his administration on track. I'm Jonathan Swan. For this story, like all the stories I've reported in this series, I spoke to a range of senior administration officials, people who work in the West Wing, senior campaign officials, and other close advisors to the president. I spoke to them on the basis of deep background, meaning I could use the information, but not say where it came from. From Axios, this is how it happened. Trump's last stand. Part three, the break with Barr. There's this video of Bill Barr being sworn in as Attorney General for the first time. It's 1991. Bill Barr's leadership in particular will help us with a new crackdown against career criminals who use firearms. And it shows just how long Bill Barr has been a mainstay in the Republican Party. It's altogether his idea uh, to try to drive drug dealers out of our neighborhoods by playing his bagpipe. Uh, when I hear this, I, I think of the clubby atmosphere that defined the Republican Party of that era. The jokes between old boys and the sense of camaraderie. Barr had platinum membership in that club. After George H.W. Bush lost re-election and Bill Barr left office, he went to work in the private sector, made the occasional appearance on the press circuit to advocate for tough-on-crime policies, criticised the Clintons, you know, pretty standard Republican messages. But he stayed roughly outside of the political process. What drew him back in was the Mueller investigation. Has appointed former FBI director Bob Mueller to now oversee the Russia probe and look at the... Bill Barr writes this memo. It's unsolicited, dated June the 8th, 2018. And he offers his view of the Mueller investigation. It's a very critical view. And he sharply takes Mueller to task for investigating potential obstruction of justice by President Trump. Trump got the gist of it, and he liked it. And he was furious with his current Attorney General, Jeff Sessions. When everybody sees what's going on in the Justice Department. I always put justice now with quotes. He wanted to replace Sessions with somebody that he viewed as on his team. Jeff Sessions recused himself, which he shouldn't have done, or he should have told me. So in December 2018, Trump chooses Bill Barr to be the Attorney General after he fired Jeff Sessions. The very first sentence of his resignation is basically, I'm resigning because you told me to. The new person on the scene, Bill Barr, he comes in and for a, about a year, he's the shiny new thing. He could do no wrong. I mean, for that first year, Bill Barr could walk on water. 
Before the full Mueller report was released, Barr took it upon himself to issue a summary of the investigation. Did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government. This was the spring of 2019. Critics were accusing him of being a toady for the president, for doing his bidding, and for obscuring what would turn out to be very serious findings. The critique at this time, mostly from the left, was he had sanitized Trump's behavior and pre-spun this report in the most favorable way possible to the president. Trump trusted Bill Barr implicitly. He thought that he was on the team, that he had his back. Trump has never viewed the Attorney General and the Justice Department as having any separation from his personal interests. Nobody could have imagined that just a year later, this relationship between the President and his Attorney General would break apart. During the summer of 2020, Black Lives Matter protests rise across the nation after the death of George Floyd while in police custody. Over a series of increasingly tense meetings in the Oval Office, Donald Trump and Bill Barr were at each other's throats over the question of how to handle these Black Lives Matter protests. Trump came out and made a statement in the wake of George Floyd's death. Heartfelt sympathies to the family of George Floyd. Terrible event, terrible, terrible thing that happened. I've asked that the Department of Justice expedite the federal investigation into his death. But Trump quickly turned in a different direction. Our nation has been gripped by professional anarchists, violent mobs, arsonists, looters, criminals, rioters, Antifa, and others. He started ranting about Antifa and professional anarchists on the left. And what he demanded from his team, including from his military, was a show of overwhelming force. I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. He has these visions of, you know, the 101st Airborne descending into Portland and Seattle and taking out these, you know, in Trump's mind, these scum, these these protesters. Barr wanted to pursue the strategy they were already pursuing, which was a law enforcement strategy, targeting the ringleaders, finding them and taking them off the streets. He did not think there was any need to send the U.S. military into Portland and Seattle. Barr was, you know, as old school and tough a law and order AG as you could imagine, but he thought this idea was nonsensical. The obstacle in the way, as Trump saw it, and actually, frankly, in reality, was Bill Barr. Trump doesn't care about the law. He's not interested in hearing about how there's actually a law enforcement strategy to deal with these protesters, which there was. Trump wants troops in the street. The thankless task of pushing back on Trump fell to Bill Barr. Barr used to tell people privately that dealing with Trump was like Groundhog Day. You'd have the same conversation over and over again. By late summer, things are intensifying more and more. And there's this meeting in the Oval Office mid-August. Trump's sitting behind the Resolute desk. 
and you've got an array of his national security leaders in front of him, including the Attorney General Bill Barr, including Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. And Trump is getting more and more agitated, and he's telling Barr to go and do something. Do it right away. Make an announcement. Send in the troops. Just do something. Go in and resolve it. Trump wanted a devastating and provocative show of strength. Barr is calmly pushing back, which is just pissing Trump off more and more. He's, he's telling Trump, you know, talking him through the law enforcement strategy and his opinion that military intervention would backfire. Trump doesn't care. He's getting more and more infuriated. He's saying, you know, we look weak. This is hurting us. And then he slams his hand down on the resolute desk. And he yells. He's, he's at this point yelling very loudly, no one supports me. And then Trump stands up. No one gives me any fucking support. And he storms out of the Oval Office. And he leaves Barr and all these other officials behind. They're just sitting there alone without the president in front of the Resolute Desk in the Oval. And Barr glances over at what was by that point a a very red-faced White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, and Barr says, well, that went well. Besides the fact that it's just astonishing, President conducting himself that way to his Attorney General. It illuminates a dynamic that emerges with pretty much everyone who serves Trump. And this happened in the final days with the Vice President, as we'll get to later. Trump pushes his people further and further and further. It's not enough that Bill Barr, you know, served Trump's purpose in the Mueller investigation. It's not enough that, you know, he was being criticised from everyone for being a Trump loyalist and a political hack. If you don't go to the extent and the extremities, if you're not willing to go all the way with Donald Trump, he ultimately turns on you. The rift over responding to the Black Lives Matter protests was just the beginning of the Barr-Trump split. The end point comes in December. That's in a moment. We're back. By the early fall of 2020, Barr starts avoiding Trump at all costs. He doesn't want to be anywhere near the West Wing. And to the extent that he was communicating with Trump, it was mostly indirectly via Chief of Staff Mark Meadows or White House Counsel Pat Cipollone. And then things get worse in mid-October. Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer, starts to tout the contents of what he claims is Hunter Biden's hard drive. And Trump is pushing for Bill Barr to appoint a special counsel to investigate Hunter Biden. Little does he know, the Justice Department had been investigating Hunter Biden since 2018, but Barr, in keeping with Justice Department precedent, had not made this public because it was something that could potentially affect the election. Barr's getting more and more frustrated as he just sees no value in being around Trump during this period. 
So he quite successfully avoids Trump. Trump's distracted. He's, you know, he's out on the campaign trail doing rallies. But Barr's, let's call it his respite, that ends after election day. Trump starts to turn his attention back to the Justice Department. He's teamed up with these conspiracy theorists, lawyers, who are amplifying these preposterous theories of election interference. And Trump wants his Department of Justice and his Attorney General to investigate these wild claims. Then in late November, Trump starts to needle bar. And he goes on the show of his friend Maria Bartiromo on Sunday Morning Futures on Fox. And he starts criticizing Bill Barr's handling of the election. He tells the Fox audience that Barr's Department of Justice was, quote, missing in action as it relates to these claims of election fraud. It's inconceivable. You you would think if you're in the FBI or Department of Justice, this this is the biggest thing you could be looking at. Where are they? I've not seen anything. He's going on a popular show with conservatives, and he is accusing him of not doing his job. Barr is furious. You know, in fact, the Attorney General had jettisoned department precedent to speed up federal investigations of election fraud allegations. The Justice Department was not missing in action. There just wasn't any evidence of major fraud. Barr intends to correct the record. And he very deliberately lines up this interview with the Associated Press. And in that interview, he makes clear how he felt about these comments. In an interview with the Associated Press, he said, quote, to date, we have not seen fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. This was a very deliberate move by Barr. He wanted to be on the public record and it it sort of mirrored what Trump had done. Trump hadn't raised any of these concerns with Barr privately. He was doing it publicly on television, for goodness sake. Barr was taking Trump on at his own game. So Barr's headed into the White House for meetings on December the 1st. This is the same day the story drops from the Associated Press. And Barr knew that there's a good chance that the Associated Press story would go live on the internet while he was at the White House. Potentially a fairly precarious uh, situation. Barr is, is at the White House to meet with other people, not with the president. But the story pops online and it starts going crazy on Twitter. The headline of the story is that Barr splits from Trump, seeing no evidence of widespread fraud in in the election. And Trump sees it, and he's furious. And he summons Barr to the private dining room adjoining the Oval Office. You just picture, so there's this long table and this glittering chandelier that hangs down, and Trump has installed this massive flat-screen TV on the other side of the room. In this post-election period, Trump was increasingly watching One American News, which is this completely untethered conspiracy theory network. So Trump's at the head of the table where he always sits, and, you know, there are others in the room, including Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, White House Counsel Pat Cipollone, and Barr enters the room with his Chief of Staff, and he's standing up. And on the screen is playing a hearing. What I witnessed um, at the TCF Center was complete fraud. It's one of the election fraud hearings in Michigan. Eight to ten times. 
Uh, I watched this with my own eyes. I was there to... Trump turns to Barr, and he's just, he's steaming. You know, he's obviously seen the Associated Press headline, and he says to Barr, why would you say such a thing? And then this is the, this line was sort of incredible. This is Trump talking. He says to Barr, you must hate Trump. There's no other reason for it. You must hate Trump. The president's talking about himself in the third person. And Barr says to him, look, these things aren't panning out. You know, the stuff that these people are telling you, he's referring to, you know, Trump's legal advisors like Sidney Powell. He says, you know, it's just not true. If Trump wants to contest the election results, his campaign lawyers would have to do it. This is not a job for the Department of Justice. And Barr just says to the president, this is a direct quote, it's just bullshit. And so Cipollone, looking pretty stunned that you know, the attorney general is telling the president that his legal strategy is bullshit. He backs up Barr and he says, you know, that the DOJ is investigating these claims. And then Barr says to Trump, I'm a pretty informed legal observer, but I can't fucking figure out what the theory is here. He's talking about the Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell team. And he says, it's just scattershot, this legal strategy. And Trump's sitting there and he says, maybe, maybe. So a week after that meeting, the New York Times reported that Barr was considering resigning. And he was. He was talking about it with friends. On December the 13th, Barr's at home. He sits down and he writes his resignation letter. And the next day, December 14th, he meets with Trump in the Oval Office. So he arrives and there are others in the room, but Barr asks for the room to be cleared so he could speak privately with the president. And he tells the president, this is why I want to step aside. You know, we've had a good relationship, but we now, we, you know, we disagree on, you know, these key matters and we don't need a public blow up. And he's written this very effusive resignation letter, you know, praising the president for his policy achievements. And so Trump likes that letter. It's, it's very, you know, very much in, in line with what Trump would want. And the president basically accepts it. Trump is often reluctant to confront people in person. He doesn't like firing people to their face. He often gets one of his lackeys to do the dirty work for him. And what he often prefers to do is to bully people in public. I mean, this was actually a fairly calm and rational final meeting. I mean, Trump appreciated Barr's loyalty and praise, but praise and loyalty were not enough. The bottom line is that when it came to election fraud, which was the only issue on Trump's mind at this point, Barr had told Trump what he did not want to hear. And so the president had stopped listening to him. Trump needed his attorney general to go beyond not only what Barr felt was ethically appropriate, but also, frankly, what was with, within the legal bounds of his role. Barr becomes a microcosm for what Trump was doing across his government. It didn't just foreshadow where his legal strategy was heading. It also foreshadowed Trump's destruction 
of perhaps his most important relationship in the entire administration. That with his vice president, Mike Pence. Destroying that relationship with Bill Barr was a key marker on Trump's journey to January 6th. That's next time. Don't forget to check out our daily news podcasts. Start your day with Axios today. And listen for big name interviews every afternoon with Dan Primack on Axios Recap. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Amy Padula, Naomi Shaven, and Alice Wilder. Dan Bobkoff is the executive producer. Additional reporting and fact-checking by Zach Basu. Margaret Talev is managing editor of politics. Sarah Kehulani Gu is Axios' executive editor. Mixing by Alex Sugiura. And original music by Michael Hampf. Special thanks to Carol Wu, Dan Primack, Chen Gao, Nyla Boodoo, Tim Shovers, and Axios co-founders Roy Schwartz, Jim Vanderhei, and Mike Allen. I'm Jonathan Swan. We'll be back next week. Thank you.